Hi, I'm Michael Goff, Principal Product Marketing for Software Monetization here at Revenera. The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded by Revulytics, which is now a part of Revenera. Rest assured that while the names may have changed, the conversations are still meaningful and relevant. Our guests have some great insights to share, so stay tuned. Welcome to episode number three of the Piracy Impact Podcast from Revulytics, where we bring you conversations with leaders from the world of software license compliance. I'm your host, Michael Goff, and I'm here with Jason Swan. Jason, this episode, we're bringing a great conversation with Shantanu Sahay from Anand and Anand. That was a great uh, meeting we had with him in Boston. Tell us about that. Yeah, it really was. You know, Shantanu works for a you know really well-established uh, legacy firm, Anand and Anand, down in India. You know, we talked about this in the past, you know, the kind of podcast we want to bring is really that, you know, localized industry expertise to really anybody that wants to learn about how to, you know, create an impactful piracy program. And Shantanu is really the best in the business in that geography. Uh, He's well-respected, works with a tremendous amount of software providers today. He's been around a long time. I've known him for a long time. And I think the listeners will really enjoy the dialogue. For sure. So let's get to that interview right now. Welcome to Piracy Impact. I'm your host, Jason Swan, and I am joined by my colleague, Michael Goff, and Shantanu Sahay from the firm Anand and Anand in India. Shantanu, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jason, for having me here. So we are taking advantage of your visit to INTA, which is a big patent, copyright, legal conference yes. that happens to be in Boston this, this springtime. So we're fortunate enough to get some time with you. If you could uh, give us a bit of an overview of the firm and uh, what you guys do. Sure, Jason. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, Anand and Anand is uh, about 90 years old firm based out of India with its headquarters at the National Capital Region of India, which is New Delhi. We are situated at one of the suburbs of Delhi, which is Noida. Um, it is an intellectual property law firm which uh, key focus on everything under the sun, if you can speak, in regards to IPRs. And uh, we've been um, front runners in terms of creating new jurisprudences uh, in regards to various facets of intellectual property rights, starting from prosecution to litigation to new policies, government engagement, so on and so forth. In regards to uh, my practice, I lead the uh, software anti-compliance practice uh, at Anand. Uh, I have a fairly large team of uh, uh, three lawyers and uh, 15 uh, compliance personals, including investigators, to carry out uh, these uh, activities in regards to initiating compliance-based uh, campaigns for various software companies in India. So you're in Boston. We certainly love front runners around here. You know, <laughs> our sports teams are certainly known to be leading from the back. Is that a softball, Michael? That is a little bit of a softball, Jason. <laughs> but why don't you tell us a little bit about the activities that this staff of 18 participates in? Right, right. Uh, we, we start with the uh, creation of the leads. and uh, Primarily, there are two uh, verticals under which the leads are created. The first vertical would be the leads which are directly passed on by the software publishers uh, to us and the second sets of creation would be the leads which are generated in-house uh, by our own investigators. Uh, we are pretty much in touch with the market in India. We know 
what uh, verticals are involved in which software deployments, what is the extent of softwares. Uh, this is quite an innovative team where they employ various dynamics of investigations, including uh, online investigations, physical investigations, and capturing the evidences using technologies, including telephone conversations. So once we prepare these uh, conversations and dockets and investigations, these are passed on to the uh, software publishers for the approval to initiate the legal actions. Okay, so in you've been around a long time. I mean, 90 years is a tremendous amount of uh, you know time and effort into the business. Can you like walk me through if if I'm a software vendor and I pick up the phone and call you, and you've got all these different activities that you cover. How would you walk me through a compliance program and the best way to engage in India? Right. So uh, let's talk about the history of compliance in India. Now, initially, if we look that way, it started typically with a software enforcement. Okay. Which means you collect the evidence, uh, you file a lawsuit based upon the preliminary intelligence which you have, approach a judge and ask the judge for an injunction on the first day. Apart from that, uh, we were also lucky to get an Anton Bill order uh, in, in initial cases wherein the, uh, the court commissioners who were appointed by the judge would be going and visiting the premises of the defendants to go and inspect those computer systems in order to find out the exact extent of the deployments of the software programs. Basis that the report of the, investi- of the local commissioner is filed in court. Now what we do is we pick up those in- investigation reports and try and engage with the defendants in an effective settlement methodology. And more often than not, uh, we've understood in our campaigns that defendants would not prefer to continue with litigation for long. So in, in, in one way or the other, they would come back to a negotiation table. Another aspect which is important is that uh, a few of those initial uh, um, um, enforcements, we could manage to shut down the entire uh, company in a way because of uh, the, uh, the pirated deployment of the software programs. Defendants in those cases had no option but to settle the matters with us. This, is, that, an, this is an aggressive style. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's how it started, Jason, frankly. Uh, over the years, uh, the market matured, the defendants uh, became, became innovative, so we needed to have a revised kind of a strategy because uh, we could not have continued with that strategy for long because uh, there were certain... Um, advantages which were given to the other side as well in terms of them moving an application to deseal those machines after taking effective backups. So in those cases, uh, we figured out that uh, the, uh, the enforcement as the sole mechanism for compliance uh, is not to be the game. So you yeah. mean the infringers got smarter, exactly. knew you were coming, exactly. and then prepared accordingly? Yes. Okay, so now you're forced to innovate. Yes. So, so we had to innovate various methodologies. In that case, we tried to approach a soft method, which was we collect the evidence, we try and send out a cease and desist letter, um, followed by active phone calls you know, from the compliance team. And then there were uh, mature discussions you know, with the other side, wherein the entire evidence was shared with them. The entire discussion was around the settlement aspect. Obviously, there were a few, few challenges which we faced initially, but slowly and slowly we realized that this is now becoming an effective mechanism of, uh, of settlement. Apart from that, we, we devised certain other uh, legal programs uh, wherein we could initiate such uh, activities. One of them was the pre-delegation mediation which we used to initiate in the Delhi High Court. When uh, you, you approach the Delhi High Court uh, Mediation Center, 
uh, with your petition pursuant to which uh, appropriate um, notices were being sent out to the other side that look this is the last chance which you guys have in order to settle the matter beyond which the software publisher would initiate a legal action. So this is an escalation of the soft method you engage, you collect the evidence, you share that doesn't go according to plan or there's no cooperation. So you initiate this pre-litigation mediation, which now through the court system, at least is forcing some discussion. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm saying is this, this has become successful only because for the past a few years, we, we, we were able to effectively enforce using the hard hits, which was the conventional software civil suit enforcement. Okay. So only we couldn't have those successes that we are now reaping the benefits of it. Okay. And that's the highest maturity level today? Because you've kind of given a little bit of a history of compliance in the region. Is that how most of your clients prefer to engage soft method, the pre-litigation to civil suit? Yes. That's yes, the escalation? Yes, that's the answer precisely. Uh, what we've realized over these years is that even the software publishers would try and uh, um, deploy a, a, a lesser methods or um, or means to engage uh, with the infringers, which means uh, not to go to a court or a police, you know, file a complaint before the magistrate to get those uh, infringers to the negotiation table. I think a mature stance which they took was to engage with them effectively through a, a, a legal notice or a mediation notice or even phone call or physical meetings. So that has started, uh, you know, proving to be a successful mechanism to close these matters. And as I said earlier, that the market in India is also maturing in a way. Mm -hmm. So I think most of these companies would prefer to settle the matter uh, with, the, uh, with the publishers other than you know, engage uh, in, in a suit format. So let's talk through what the conversions would be in those methods. So from a soft method today, what should a software vendor expect from a closure point of view? Okay. Um, <clears throat> if you're talking about the volumes of closures, I think in our experience, uh, a soft method, uh, let's see if you initiate 10 uh, legal notices, um, I can easily expect seven out of them would be closing, you know, in, in the next couple of months. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And then for the three that don't, you go to pre-litigation mediation? Exactly. What's the expectation there? I think 60% uh, of pre-litigation mediations are getting closed now. Okay. And then civil suits, I'm um, um, imagining, are only for unique cases when software vendors really want to pursue. Yes. So in a way, it injects the uh, blood into the mainstream. It's really important because that's the mother of all campaigns. Um, the market needs to understand that uh, the publisher would not uh, lie down once the matter is not settled. So once, uh, well, you know, once in two, three months, if uh, each publisher would be uh, able to file a, a lawsuit, an enforcement lawsuit, that would be really helpful for the law firm to engage in the other methods. So we hear that a lot from our guests that there is this notion of showing the marketplace in a particular region that you're willing to go as far as it takes to prove that intellectual property protection is of utmost importance to the software vendor. So do all of your clients at least intermittently do that? Yes, absolutely. They do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that definitely helps put some teeth into those letters, right? So exactly. People will understand that when they get a letter. Right, right. And also because most of these letters are sent out on the letterheads of Anandan, which is known to be the law firm which initiates all these actions on behalf of its clients. So that really helps, you know. So in 90 years, you've built up some brand recognition. 
Exactly. That when your letter yeah. comes across the desk, yeah, you guys want, mean business. I would modestly say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. So you don't have to be modest. Thank you so much. Uh, what would be some common misconceptions about conversions in India that you'd want our audience to know? Um, what I would want to say is, and then I may put across my view here, is that, uh, see, every geo would have its own sets of challenges. India is a unique territory. India has its own challenges its own nuances. Uh, so I think the market response in a particular action uh, in a very specific way, you know, it may not be at that moment in sync with the global processes which the publishers may have created. Not to say that the leads would not close, the quantum of closure will have to be taken into account. See, one needs to understand the economy, you know, one needs to understand the fact that most of these uh, uh, infringers would have been engaged by other software publishers also in the past, so they understand the dynamics of software compliance as a business and methodology of uh, you know uh, procurement of softwares. So we need to be totally uh, you know f focused and open in regards to a particular closure. Once we have that mindset in, in you know in you know in a particular framework, we'll be able to massively close all the cases which is being given to us. An interesting thing that you had said to me uh, earlier today when we were. Um, talking about the business at large, is you said something that I think is somewhat unique to India. You would mention that a high volume business with a low price point actually has a higher probability of closing in India than a high price point with low volume, which exactly. in other regions in the world, when we talk to other um, legal folks and customers of ours, it seems like they're looking for a higher price point. Explain to us why that's different in India. Yeah, my, my understanding is correct. Uh, to answer that, uh, one need to understand that uh, a particular company, I'm talking from the India perspective, you know, it, uh, they have a particular budget which they have allotted for software procurement, you know. Also, at the same time, one also needs to understand that India is not a high damages regime, like most uh, of the Western countries and also a few of the Asian countries such as Japan and, and Singapore and so on and so forth. So a, a company would procure a software only once it basically lands into its budget domain. In that case, if you're looking at, let's say, a closure of you know $5,000, it's a very easy format for us. So in that case, so as to increase the volume business, one needs to drive the volume as well. So what I ask in those cases is to you give us maximum leads, you know, let's focus on territories, you know, let's let's engage 50 to 100 cases in a quarter. In that case, overall, if you look at the ballpark, we will be able to create the maximum value for our publishers. Excellent. And you had mentioned local law. You know, I know in, in conversations in the past with you, you talked a lot about the Bombay High Court, you know, kind of mimicking kind of Western law in, in some areas. Um, give us a little idea about how local law is enforced, how strong are the laws compared to other countries in the world and where that's headed? All right. Um, I can answer by saying that uh, we were successful in terms of filing lawsuits based solely upon the uh, technology-based evidence. <clears throat> Earlier, it used to be a conventional investigation uh, uh, pursuant to which the investigation report and the affidavit was filed. But in few of these recent cases which we have initiated before the Bombay High Court and the Delhi High Court, we were able to file only the exalid, uh, you know, uh, uh, evidence or the evidence which is, uh, you know, uh, collected through telemetry data. 
and the judges were conscious enough to understand the dynamics of its working, pursuant to which they were able to give us the injunction orders and also read orders. All right. How, to what extent they're going to, uh, you know, uh, be able to be adjudicated depends upon uh, the nature of the response which the defendant would file eventually. But I think at this level, the judges are pretty much okay in terms of giving us the orders, you know, uh, based solely upon the evidence collected by telemetry data. So that basically reflects the majority of the courts these days in India. So that has been confirmed. Yes. Secondly, uh, as, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, India may not be a high damages regime right now, but uh, the indications which we are getting uh, from uh, these two courts, which I'm talking about, Delhi High Court and the Bombay High Court, both have been successfully over the last six months being granted, uh, granting, uh, you know, high damages uh, to the defendants, which has not happened, you know, in the past. And also defendants who are not ex parte, who are probably appearing in court in that case, so it can be perfectly executed so that plaintiffs would be able to get all the money which have been given in a decree. So that's one important development which is taking India towards a higher damages regime. In, in next, next couple of years, we'll be able to you know, come back with you know, more uh, methodologies to engage on behalf of our publishers solely on the fact that India is now becoming a high damages regime. Is that important to your clients? Exactly. Really? Yes. It is important because... Uh, it is uh, an arsenal which they have that look. Even though you are not in the position to, uh, you know, or you do not, uh, you're not willing to purchase my software, but still, I have a claim against you on damages. And the court situation right now is such that they would be giving damages if I'm able to prove my case against you perfectly in evidence. So when you say damages, do you mean? There's not going to be a software purchased. You're just paying a high penalty, or is it a high penalty, legal fees potentially, plus the technology? Uh, the plaint which we filed uh, in in the Indian courts talks about your uh, claim against the defendants, and the prayers are uh, basically in regards to damages and injunction and costs. Uh, obviously, as a method of settlement, we intend to settle the matter because the other side has procured softwares. <clears throat> but once you are able to successfully prove my case and damages, I think my software procurement angle also would be totally, totally sharpened in a way. So I'm going to have, I'm seeing, let's say, a 15% increase only on this aspect, you know, in case India is becoming a, a good damages providing regime. Interesting. So obviously, you know, the technology-based evidence, the telemetry data that you're getting, you mentioned is certainly helping your case in the courts. You also said that 70% you are doing settlements with the soft approach. How much of that telemetry data are you bringing into those initial letters, into those conversations? How are you leveraging that type of evidence with the uh, defendants? Okay. The, 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 uh, my, my initial uh, approach is not to disclose the entire data. Uh, to the infringer. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I mentioned the process by which the data is captured, which is the telemetry data in our case. Uh, I may disclose a bit of information in the next level of response, which I will send out. All right, But most of these technology-based uh, data is discussed and disclosed in a physical meeting or over a conference call. So I may avoid disclosing everything in writing at this stage, but I may discuss everything in a very active manner once I'm having a settlement meeting with these guys. Sure. But, 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 but to add on to what I said, um, the approach right now and the response which I'm getting uh, from the other side is not too many questions on the technology, which is a good news for us. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned earlier that 
in the early days, you know, when you had to go to court and get the injunction and then, you know, go on site and look for the evidence on those machines, you know, there might be a lot of cleaning of the machines before you get there. I assume, you know, with the telemetry data, that's less of an issue. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Prompting them to be a little bit more... uh, Generous in the settlements? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, do you find when you engage these infringers, do they get their own lawyers or have in-house lawyers, or is this more of a business discussion? Uh, depend upon the nature of the company. I think if it's a mid-size or a big company, invariably they would have the in-house and the external counsels. But typically the volume-based uh, you know, targets, which I just referred to you earlier, mm-hmm. I think they would invariably call themselves. Uh, so it depends upon the nature of the company in a way. And if the nature is a midsize or larger and they get their lawyer involved, how educated do you find that legal team in their position on telemetry, the court system, the mediation? Are they well-versed in, in how this works? It is very interesting to observe here that they are very well-versed on this. And to our advantage, in a way. In fact, their approach is, and I'm happy in case I'm getting a response from the lawyer, I'll be in a better position to make him understand the exact value of my evidence. So it's a happy news for us in case the other side is being responded by a lawyer. See, that's a common theme that we hear around the world. If the lawyers engage on behalf of the software vendor and the yes. infringer gets a lawyer, yes. the conversation seems to move a lot more swiftly. Exactly. The focus then totally gets on to the settlements. Right now. Less yeah. emotion. Yes, absolutely. More fact-based understanding yes. of yes. Yes. escalation and issues. And I think my experience is that these lawyers tend to understand the fact that we are basically on the right side. Our evidence is 100% accurate. And uh, we have definitive legal options to escalate these matters. So I think in my understanding, their advice to their clients is also to settle the matter. So with all your experience in the region then, is it safe to assume that you wouldn't embark on an engagement representing a software vendor unless you knew you had enough evidence to protect your reputation and ensure that there's a conversion for the client you represent? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And how many clients, uh, vendors, are you representing today? I mean, how vast is this business of yours? So I have about 40 software clients which I have in the portfolio. At the moment, I am about uh, 37 active campaigns which I'm running. Yep. There are certain campaigns, uh, which is more than one for a particular <clears throat> software publisher, so to say. So I think it's a huge work for me right now. <laughs> and for the next prospect who may be listening to this podcast, what advice would you give them about a compliance program in India? See, India is a mature market, I can say that, you know, honestly. If, uh, we have experience personal to deal with these issues, you know, starting from uh, a simple... Uh, an infringer who would be willing to settle the matter with you to the most complicated company who would ask 100 questions. But the trick is to have an important team in place, right? Uh, you know, work with right kind of vendors, uh, right kind of counsels, so that you are in a position to answer such questions which are being posed at them. But um, very honestly, in my experience, I think India is totally becoming a highly mature market, wherein the, uh, the, uh, the focus subsequently would be to have a minimum input in terms of, you know, investing into technology and sending out legal notices, but the expectation in terms of ROI would be huge. So you've been doing this a long time. We would love to hear some crazy stories of cases that have come about through your experiences that maybe have shocked you a bit. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, there are a lot of crazy stories. I mean, I, I did a lot of enforcements myself when I was an associate. Uh, I remember once I was uh, doing an action uh, in the western part of India, which is in Gujarat, uh, where I raided a company along with the team of local commissioners and technical experts. So there was one person who was the head of that particular area, uh, the floor manager. And uh, obviously he allowed us to, you know, inspect the machines, you know, and settle the matter also in a way. But uh, I realized after I came back to my office that I have another software company approaching me again, the same infringer. So after one week, I had to again go back and infringe, <laughs> you know, to execute the, my case against them. And I had the same, uh, you know, vision, you know, I had the same experience when the guy was there, you know, sitting at the entrance and we could easily go and execute the matter. After I came back again to my office, I, I got an information from my third client no. who would want to again, you know, instruct <laughs> me to, <laughs> to go and execute. And I did file the, and it was basically a deja vu moment for me when I had all these instances literally planned up and we had the entire planning done in advance because we could factually, you know, uh, you know, understand okay, what's going to happen the next moment. So it was pretty interesting that reason. You would hope after the second time he would have stopped infringing whatever he was doing. <laughs> Although, I mean, we, we definitely hear a lot of stories about companies who are intentionally pirating software, definitely you know, intentionally infringing, that they're going to do it until they're caught, right? Yeah, until that sounds like institutional theft, right? right? Yeah. Right. Um, do you see less of that these days as things are changing? See, we're not doing much of enforcement, but I think... Uh, we are, uh, I mean, we are able to understand and listen to a lot of stories from the other side. You know, more often than not, uh, the owners basically shift to one of an employee or a trainee who would come with his laptop carrying, and we are the standard responses which we are getting right now. But we know how to deal with that. Obviously, we understand that in India, at least, uh, no comp no employee or a trainee would pirate unless there is some sort of a, you know, instruction or tacit approval from the management. So. Yeah, we definitely hear that one a lot, too. It wasn't Incredible. me. It was a consultant. Yes. It was somebody on our Wi-Fi. To be expected. Yeah. To be expected. Yeah. Well, Shantanu, uh, thank you for joining Piracy Impact, spending your time today. For those listening, his name is Shantanu Sahay. His firm is Anand and Anand, and we thank him for his time today. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Nice having you. Thank you. This has been episode number three of the Piracy Impact podcast from Revulytics with your host, Jason Swan, and me, Michael Goff. Special thanks to Shantanu Sahay from Anand and Anand for joining us today, and thank you for listening. We appreciate you subscribing to and rating this podcast wherever you listen. Adding a rating and a review helps other software license compliance professionals find our podcast. You can also continue the conversation on social media. Please follow us on Twitter, at Revulytics, and share your comments and questions with hashtag PiracyImpact. You can also learn more about Revulytics and how we've supported customers' compliance programs generate more than $2.4 billion in new license revenue since 2010 at www.revulytics.com. Hi, this is Michael Goff again. Thank you for listening. And as a reminder, this podcast was recorded by Revulytics, which is now a part of Revenera. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed today or software monetization in general, please reach out to us at www.revenera.com.